0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.
2: Connecting to the Big Show.
1: In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute
2: you.
3: The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is.
4: People were there. We will continue to raise our voices.
2: (laughs) We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk?
1: Call
2: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The lines are live. Let's
1: kickstart the conversation.
2: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96fm.
3: Yeah, two weeks today till the start of the Cork's 96FM Giving for a Living Radiothon for 2021. So delighted and pleased and excited to have it back and more as we get closer to that time. 1850-715-996, good morning. Before I get to anything, this has got to be the strangest story in the world. Can you imagine the scenes in the maternity ward in Morocco? Right, where they're saying, that's grand now. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's grand now. No, hold on a second. Hang on a cotton pick a minute. There's more here. What a story. She's got nine babies five girls, four boys. Her name is Halima Sise, I think. She's 25. She was 30 weeks pregnant we expected to give birth to seven but they were hiding on the ultrasound as you can imagine like it's a bit crowded in there so they only see seven so they were all set for septuplets and then they were they were kind of <laughs> we're done now oh we're not oh hold on a second now this is world breaking stuff because there's never been a case where nine babies have survived there is a record from 2009 of a woman in California, Nadia Suleiman was her name. No, not O'Sullivan, Suleiman. Nadia, she had eight babies. They all survived. She now goes under the wonderful nickname of Mum. But this is a fabulous story, bizarre story from Morocco. Uh, third ever recorded case, um, unfortunately. In the other cases, they didn't survive. But these kids... These little babies are all said to be doing well and thriving and hopefully should, should make it. But, like, <laughs> like, how many multiple births do you get in Ireland, say, in a year? And has there ever been a case anything like this? I do remember, was it quads or quintuplets? were born in Cork a few years ago they'd be they'd be pushing on now they might be teenagers at this stage but they were quads or quintuplets i can't remember which four or five anyway hefty number of children but speaking of hefty number of children, like nine like that's a hefty number of children all in one go but mary brosnan is the director of nursing and midwifery at the national maternity hospital she was asked about this uh, yesterday
5: so we'd have two sets of twins a week and we might have
4: one set of triplets every two months, probably seven triplets, seven sets of triplets born
6: last year. So even quads weren't born in Holy Street last year. So it would be a big event to have three or four babies being born. And I was just picturing the scene
5: at the birth, the labour room, and those nine babies were being delivered because even when we have three babies being born, we have a cast of thousands on hand. You know, we have three neonatal nurses, three doctors, at least three midwives, you'd have three of everybody so that each baby gets its own attention. The incubator is all the equipment set up to manage nine babies,
4: then to make enough space for nine babies, nine sets of equipment, nine
7: sets of staff. It's just a logistical phenomenon, really.
3: You'd want an extension. And she's right there. I remember when our twins were born, like you could have sold tickets to, to the crowd in the... In the ward that night, i never forget. Imagine nine. What, like? What's the first thing that would come into your mind if you were told, A, you're having seven, and then you go in to have the seven, and you're actually having nine, and they start giving them to you one by one? Like, what's the first thing that would come into your mind when you hear about a story like this? Thank you, guys. The Murphy Quads from Riverstick are now 19 years old. I figured they were teenagers but I, I didn't think they were heading for the 20 mark. 19, thanks for that, from uh, Riverstick in County Cork. Nine children. Like, what's the first thing that would come into your mind when you hear that story? 30 weeks, uh, 2.8 pounds, apparently, each. Tiny little things, but doing well and likely to survive. And Halima Sise. Is that? Remember her name. She'll be she'll be a celebrity. Do you know? She'll be on some one of the television shows. God knows the way Ryan is doing it now. She could end up on the Late Late Show. Can you imagine? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Who? I don't. Until, what do you think? Let me know. What you think about that? What, what What the first thing comes into your head when you hear a story like that? What What would you do if it was you or your sister or your daughter or your cousin or your friend? What would you do? Like, how do you even begin to support? An overnight mob like that. Do you know What would be, how much would you get per month in children's allowance for nine kids? To far more serious matters, and this has been bubbling up. I mentioned it yesterday, uh, just in, in passing on the programme. But this idea that a vulture fund can buy up an entire housing estate. And I guess we all knew it was happening we all kind of quietly knew that they were buying up whole apartment blocks, they were buying up chunks of housing developments. But there was a story in the news over the last few days, I think it came up on Prime Time, that Round Hill Capital, that's a vulture fund, a new estate in Maynooth County Kildare of 174 houses, badly needed houses, were all bought up by Round Hill Capital. And since that story came out, there have been other bulk property sales have come to light. And Mary Lou MacDonald was saying that, look, they come in because they can. They come in because they're let in. They pay little or no corporation tax, no capital gains tax, minimum stamp duty. They buy, they rent at huge rents, and then they get out with massive profits and little or no tax paid. And we need to make it illegal. I think... We're about to do that, John Defoe, political correspondent. Are we? Good morning.
8: Uh, good morning. I don't know how far this is going to go. There are course, this morning the government is looking at, at banning this entirely, certainly at the Parliamentary Party meetings of Finnegan and Fianna Fáil last night. It was the big topic, the big talk, Tish Mihal Martin saying that they were going to move immediately on this. But I don't think there is going to be an outright ban because there are quite a few people in government, the Minister for Finance among them, who believe investment funds, have a a role to play in the market as it is at the moment. And there are those in the Department of Housing that believe that as well. And the thinking there is that there are a lot of developers sitting on planning permissions at the moment. There's about 80,000 planning permissions, half of those in Dublin alone, uh, that aren't being used. And the government wants to incentivise people to use that. And one of the things that is delaying builders and developers is that they are trying to predict two, three years down the line. Because if they break ground on a site today, they're not going to make their profits on it for two or three years until the is actually built and they sell them off and so the advantage of the likes of an investment fund or a vulture fund coming in is they block buy them in advance well Mm. ahead of the time they buy them off the plans they buy them off the plans and the developer and the builder has the money so they start straight away knowing that they're going to make their money and the houses and the apartments that many people need get built now. The other side of that is when they are built, they belong to that fund, and they are not going to be sold on for quite a while. They're going to be long-term rentals, quite often at quite high rent, and they are, of course, blocking any any private citizen who wants to buy it from actually getting in on that. So they, there is a... The, the way I think this is going to go is down the route of what Darrell O'Brien suggested when he was in opposition, that a certain amount of new developments, he had suggested up to 30%, would be put aside reserved for first-time buyers, but that funds would still be able to invest in the residential property market in some form. And I suppose how far that goes is what they're still debating.
3: Mm, see, the problem is, as you well know, Sean, and many other people well know, is it's this kind of multiple investment that has led to the crippling rent that a lot of people are living with.
8: Oh absolutely and this is one of the things I suppose the affordable housing bill was trying to address this week with affordable uh, cost rental where they literally just meet the cost but when it is the likes of a vulture fund they they're, they're about making profits they're often, uh, you know, some of these funds are, are retirement investment funds from people in other countries looking to make a, a few bucks off of that so of course they're going to dictate market rent and that has led to a large increase in it and we don't have, like in a lot of the other countries there is a, a culture of long term rental that people might rent and be quite happy renting for mm. 10, 20, 50 years, however long it actually is. We, we don't really have that and we don't have tenancies that allow people to do that. It'd be quite rare you'd get a tenancy longer than one year, so it's very insecure accommodation and that obviously isn't ideal and kind of wouldn't be secure enough for anyone looking to, to settle down long term, you know, so it does feed into to a wider problem in a dysfunctional market.
3: The points that Mary Lou McDonald was making, uh, yesterday where she said that they don't pay any corporation tax they pay, don't pay any capital gains tax they pay minimal stamp duty if you say or if if the government says we need the investment then obviously we need the investment but could these people not be taxed on
8: their profits? Uh, yeah, they should, in my own opinion the door was effectively flung open to them Uh, by the last government and by uh, Michael Noonan and certain changes that that his government made when the country was starting out for any sort of investment, if you like, and this was mentioned at the Fine meeting last night, that when the rules that they they brought in came into place it was a very different Ireland and now they need to be looked at to be changed. So the plan from government had been to review this as part of an overall tax review towards the middle to end of this year. Certainly I think that is going to have to be brought forward now, uh, along with Daryl O'Brien's idea of setting aside a certain amount because the fact that they pay no tax obviously means that they are then competing with private landlords and competing with other people in the market who just, have, just absolutely don't have a chance. Of course, your average private buyer isn't going to have a chance to compete with a vulture fund to purchase a property. And then when you're looking at, at, at private landlords, they often complain their tax to the hill to the, the likes of the accidental landlords who maybe only have one property for whatever reason they inherited or it was formerly theirs, whatever the situation may be, they're taxed very heavily. So I think there is going to have to be change. The change is somewhat reluctant from government. They're very much being bounced into this by outrage of what happened in Kildare and Dublin in terms of those estates, and what the opposition are saying. Indeed, Labour threatening to reproduce Darrow Bryant's bill from opposition exactly word for word if he doesn't Mm. get a move on in the next week. So um, a lot of political pressure mounting and I think the government is still assessing how far it feels it can go without totally encouraging some of that investment because the reality is without investment, uh, heavy investment from uh, these kind of funds and from others in mean, the housing market over the next few years we're not going to get yeah, to that target of 30 30, an, 30
3: an, an economic reality some stuff just would not get built if it wasn't for this kind of money coming in. What you also got I think at this stage Sean if it's evidence from the parliamentary party meetings and Lord knows they're practically being live tweeted at this stage Fine Gael and Fianna sniping at each other now about
8: housing Oh very much so, very much so uh TDs demanding that Darrell O'Brien come before them saying, oh well we don't have the Department of Housing anymore, we don't have control of that even though they had control of that for for quite a long time in the last government to actually make moves on this uh, and then being a fall making some more subtle comments, uh, you know Daryl O'Brien was uh, asked about this at a press conference the other day and said that, you know, we need an all of government approach and he was asked well, are, you, are you referring to Fine Gael there are you saying Finnegale aren't on board and was a little bit more coy about it but then the Finance Minister Pascal who was on uh, news talk yesterday evening talking about this and saying there is very much a, a place for investment funds and we need to be careful with the way we handle it so there are differing views around the cabinet table, there are differing views in government parties but I think now they have accepted the political reality that people are incredibly angry over this, people are incredibly frustrated at not being able to get home and they are going to have to take action
3: Of course the opposition rubbing its hands in, in joint glee at the prospect of the, the the
8: two big parties at each other like cats in a bag Oh, absolutely! I mean, it's kind of been the hope from opposition that there would be internal government division, and we we have seen some of that. I don't think we've seen as much internal government division as maybe a lot of us, including myself, would have predicted when this, you know, historic coalition came together. But the opposition kind of acting very much united in this, in terms of Social Democrats, Labour, Sinn Fein, all saying not the same, same hymn sheet. That more needs to be done because when you look at the housing market at the moment, anyone trying to buy a house, you talk to anyone, will know it's it's an absolute disaster. Prices skyrocketing as uh, supply continues to founder and when we hear from the Department of Housing this week that it might be 2025 before they even start to reach that target of 33 to 35,000 I mean that's incredibly worrying and incredibly uh, glim and, and grim to hear.
3: Okay, alright, leave it there Sean, we'll see where it pans out. As you say yourself the political reality is that something has to be done but what can be done might be another day's work. Sean Defoe, political correspondent, thank you Take the economic reality of what he's had to say in there. Like, we want to build hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of houses, that we need to. Problem is, if you don't, if you completely ban all this money, you completely ban all this foreign investment, it might look like it's the right thing to do. But what happens then when the developers say, well, I just can't afford to build my 300 houses now because I don't have anybody available to buy 200 of them before I'm off the plans? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. your thoughts on that uh, if you'd like to give them to us on nine babies Antoinette says how would you even start to figure out how to feed them I'll settle for twins, thanks Kate wouldn't know whether to call the doctor or the vet <laughs> and Joe, I'd be minted with the children's allowance actually I was trying to work out how much that would be for nine kids Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
9: Can we just talk?
3: Opinion line
2: on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread,
1: 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The Cork
2: Diary. On Cork's 96 FM.
1: Are you a childminder or thinking of becoming one? Childminding Ireland is a not for profit organisation that offers free guidance, advice and support so that you can offer best quality childcare in a home from home setting. For more information, check out childminding.ie. If you have an event or a not-for-profit cause you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie
3: We love to get your voice messages on WhatsApp if you don't If A big, long text that could take you all day to write it, but you don't necessarily have time to take a phone call or wait for me to come to you on the line. You can just fling us in a WhatsApp whenever you want at 083 396 96 96. Just do us a little voice message and away with you. And not so much the Bolshevans buying up hundreds and hundreds of houses off the plans. That's not what's on Paul's mind really. What was on Paul's mind was this affordable housing thing that's going on in the background where here in Cork they reckon that an affordable house will be 400,000 and in Dublin that's capped at 450,000. And they argue, the government argue that that's a cap, but everyone else says, well, that'll be the target, you know. It's not so much the capital be four hundred thousand, but that they all start costing four hundred. That argument is, is of itself. But, but Paul's got some some thoughts on it, which he's committed to voice message.
10: Affordable housing bill. Is he having a laugh? They reckon
3: for the government is reckoning four hundred and fifty thousand as a social social housing price in Dublin. Who the hell is going to afford that for a first time boy? And, and puts it in words so simple that he's got an absolute point. Come here, there are emergency services, we're told, out around Colosta Stefan Nefa, uh, So be careful, there are delays in the area. We hope that whatever has happened out there, it's nothing too serious in that general area. But emergency services out around Colosta Stefan Nefa. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. If you have any thoughts as well on the poor woman with the nine children, uh, I love Kevin's um, gift that he puts us on uh, on Twitter. Just, this poor misfortune, just climbing into bed and pulling up the duvet, and nine children, nine children Eight one go as well. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I want you to cast your mind back a couple of months
6: but given my experience in October my husband is actually even more fear for now because I was actually so sick for about three weeks yeah. and he just he can't imagine what COVID would actually well, do to me so I, I suppose, suppose the given, given the no shortness of left. breath
3: given the shortness of breath goes along yes. with even the mildest of cases you don't need that
6: I don't need any more further damage to my lungs because I have bronchiactis as well so there is some scarring out of the lungs and things like that yeah. so yeah no I could do without it to be honest um, I suppose I don't want to make myself more unwell and I'm already unwell as it is on a daily basis um, I actually got back to work which was one of the ones the things I wanted to do so this is something I want to continue um, and yeah just kind of have some kind of a normal life you so, know so,
3: so, so effectively you've been shielding or cocooning yourself since when?
6: Since March, really, um, I suppose the summer was good to us because the weather was so good. Um, I haven't been in a supermarket since I came back from Lanzarote. Um, I kind of might have gone to a chemist once or twice. I actually find it quite difficult to wear a mask, right. um, especially if there's any heat in the room at all. So I suppose anything I've done is outdoors. Um, yeah. We get all our shopping online. Now we managed to go kayaking in the summer. We could go walking. Yeah. If I met anybody, it's outside. Um, and I Just kind of see my dad and that on the odd occasion when I feel it's safe to do so, you know. Um, So every time we make a decision, I suppose we're always kind of thinking, uh, have we been careful enough? Now, there's four
3: four of you in the house. Talk to me about Andrew.
6: Andrew. Andrew's been fantastic throughout the whole thing, I suppose for a 15 year old his life has ch- probably changed more so than mine um, because I'm used to being sick. I'm used to kind of being stuck at home and, you know, um, but Andrew, like, would be obviously very active.
3: That's Melissa Pazley talking to me back in January at the start of the vaccine rollout. Uh, she has chronic asthma and, as she said in that clip, has been pretty much locked indoors uh, since the spring of last year and also mentioning Andrew a young lad who loves his rugby and is involved in all sorts of sport and outdoor activities. And he hasn't even, or hadn't even at that point, considered going back to school because he couldn't. And even when the schools did go back after after lockdown, I don't think he went back either. But Melissa, you have news. Good morning.
6: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
3: Good, good, good. What's the news?
6: I actually got my vaccine on our 22nd wedding anniversary and she's the fourth to me. Uh,
9: that's so brilliant.
6: I've had my first vaccine. You're actually, you're actually having me well up in tears. You're listening back to that and um, just realising how tough it's actually been for everybody. Yeah. And I know it's not a silver bullet, but it's just a relief for myself and for my family, you know, to know that, God forbid, if we did pick up covid at least hopefully now that I am protected and that I won't end up in hospital or worse, you know, so it's such a huge relief. What, what one
3: did you get, Melissa?
6: I got the Pfizer. Got the, I got it with my GP. Your so. second
3: one is four weeks. so It
6: is. That, that's, yes.
3: you'll, you'll be able to have a relatively normal life for the summer, which is important.
6: Exactly, come July at least, you know, and I suppose the one thing I want to do is be able to go down and see my dad freely. You know, he's actually vaccinated now as well. I can go and give him a hug. I can give my granddad a hug who's 99 and also vaccinated. So it's just little things like that. It's not that we want to be out partying. It's not that we want to be out in shops. We just want not to be living in so much fear. Mm. And like you heard there January, I was talking to you about the vaccine rollout and we're now in May. Mm. It's been yeah. a long, very stressful week, which actually just didn't help my health, you know. Yeah.
3: Um, how you how know, did the call come in the end? How, did you go, go chasing it up or did your doctor just ring you?
6: Um, I just got a text um, from my GP asking me to book in my um, my date or my time and I tell you my hands were shaking <laughs> and it was literally done there and then. I didn't even think about it. I just booked whatever time I could get and it was just such a huge relief, you know. It, it really means a lot to people yeah. that are in my situation like that. I still haven't been in a supermarket and that's since last March, you know. I haven't been in a clothes shop. I haven't, you know, like I've been been to a pharmacy, I've been to my GP, I've been to the dentist, you know, they're my luxuries at the moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it would mean, mean a lot, you know. Um, it'd it'll, it'll be hard to adjust though, you know, because we've obviously changed everything we've done and to go back out into a group of people. now I will still probably be a bit anxious, mm-hmm. but, you know, less fear.
3: But, but so. I, think, I think the biggest thing would be hugging your dad.
6: I'm hugging my dad. And and me Andrew back at school in September. That's yeah. all I ever he's wanted not at back, the very no. start. No, he didn't um go back at the moment. Um he's you know, we're just going to see fifth year and we're going to go with it and start fresh. And he's two years then and, you know, um just go back again that way. But look, at least in the summer if he wants to go do a bit of training yeah. or you know hopefully find a part time job or something yeah. that he can do that he without. do worrying. it
3: safely now in safety yeah. now. Melissa yeah. I'm going to leave you there I'm delighted for you I'm absolutely um, beyond delighted for you actually and, and <laughs> well, I, I hope you have a great summer
6: it's the reason why I text you because I genuinely knew that you would be delighted and, you know, it just means so much. And thank you so much for just highlighting how hard it is for people like that are high risk. Um, right. I just don't think people understood. Um, life has just completely changed for us. Yeah. But hopefully now there's a light at the end of the tunnel.
3: Excellent, excellent. And the relief in your voice says it all. Melissa Pasley got her vaccine uh, the other day. Severe asthma hasn't been in a supermarket since March 12 months, and we think of the things that we take for granted, even in the midst of a pandemic. 1850
2: 715 Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with Dairy Made
1: Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in
2: Cork using West Cork cream. 96 FM.
3: You know, just speaking to Melissa there and, and thinking about everyone affected and has been affected by this blasted thing for the last 14 months we're all impatient to get out the end of it we're all impatient to get back and see our friends properly we're impatient to go to a match, impatient to go on some kind of a holiday, impatient to just go out and be normal again and we know it's coming, we do know it's coming but we know we're going to have to wait and waiting is a skill And sometimes in the modern world, there's a bit too much instant gratification going on so that we have to teach our children the skill of waiting, that good things come to those who wait and that we can have nice things, but sometimes they can't happen straight away. Child psychologist David Coleman joins me. David, good morning to you.
11: Good morning, in, in, a, in
3: a world of instant gratification, where you can get a pizza delivered by drone in 20 minutes, you, we, we do need to teach our children that everything good comes to he who waits.
11: Yeah, I mean, I think it's to be honest that most parents probably have that sense anyway, um, in, in dealing with their kids, you know, and, and there are lots of times when we do have to ask our children to wait when, um, you know, we might be just busy, they might need something and we can't deliver it at that time. And often though, what ends up happening for kids is that, you know, they just get frustrated because they want whatever it is when they want it. And their frustration is what we as parents often end up responding to. And so, of course, we get frustrated and then, um, very often whatever it is gets delayed further and that becomes more complicated for children uh, in terms of learning, you know, how, how do they get used to, to waiting, um, but yeah but it is certainly a skill that we need now it's,
3: it's so hard for them at the moment because their lives have been put on hold again uh, you know, another May with no Communions, another Spring with no Confirmations, another springtime with no birthday parties no seeing of their friends very little at least other than school they're getting very impatient and we, we we have to we have to help them with that don't we
11: we do. I mean, it is, it is a real dilemma. Like if you look at, for example, you know, coronavirus is, is a, a really, I would say at this age, a chronic problem for so many of us with regard to, you know, what we want and, and what we hope for being constantly almost put off, you know, just when it seems like there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, something seems to happen and things get further delayed or whatever. So I think we've been in a, a, a sense of hiatus for almost a year now. And, um I mean, that presents actually Neffet and the government with quite a problem because, you know, in order for us to delay our gratification order, for us to be able to wait, we do need some certainty that the the promised reward, if you like, the better thing that we're waiting for is going to be delivered and that it's going to be delivered in some kind of timely fashion, that we almost have a timeline for when it will happen. That's why, you know, very often the government will, will try to give dates when certain things will happen, that we have some certainty about it. But of course, you know, what coronavirus has done in many situations is that, you know, because things change, with the correct transmission and so on. Some of those dates have to change and that's the bit that's really difficult. So if, if you look at how, I mean, b- psychologists have been kind of studying uh, gratification and delaying gratification and are deferring gratification for years and, you know, one of the earliest experiments that was done uh, invited children to, uh, they were in a room with the researcher, and there was a marshmallow on a plate for them. And they were told, look, when I leave, you can eat this marshmallow, but if you can wait, if you can leave the marshmallow there when I leave and wait, and when I come back, I'll come back with another marshmallow, and you have two marshmallows. So children were given this option to, to if they could hold off from their desire to eat the marshmallow straight away they'd actually end up getting two marshmallows and so what they found was that there would be a certain number of children who would just eat the marshmallow that was there and then another group of children who uh, would wait and would get the two marshmallows but I suppose it's the further extensions of that research that have been really interesting because what they've shown is that you know what's central to children being able to learn how to wait is their trust in the thing that they're waiting for being delivered. Mm -hmm. So one of the modifications they made to that experiment was um, when the researcher came back in, they didn't bring a second marshmallow and they just apologized to the child and said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, you know, have the one that's here. And so what children learned from that when they then, tried to rerun the experiment with the same children was the children who had been who'd had their trust betrayed essentially who hadn't been given the, the promised extra marshmallow just ate the first marshmallow straight away they didn't even bother they just thought well there's no point you know you can't be guaranteed that you're going to get the extra one I might as well just enjoy the one that's here and so that's the thinking behind that yeah. and so that's what pervades for most of us in most situations so if we don't have trust that whatever it is that's been promised to us or that whatever it is that we are ourselves promising that we will achieve or we will do down the line, and um, it's very hard to wait mm-hmm. really, really hard to wait and and that's been the difficulty I think for us with kids because we can't promise them you know anything if, with regard to coronavirus we can't even promise them that we can you know let them meet friends because we just don't know I mean in theory may tenth you know there's next week we should be opening up a little bit more, we can meet in groups of six and you know but God only knows something will happen
3: is, is there a lesson for us in, in <clears throat> David in that you know as parents we need to be careful of what we do promise.
11: Well, I think that's true all the time. Um, I mean, I've been a proponent ever since I've been, had a a bit of a voice uh, in saying to to parents, you know, the most important things is is consistency, 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 which means, you know, do what you say you're going to do, um, but only promise what you can actually deliver, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I think for sure, children, if, if they're ever to trust us in any respect, whether it's about delaying their gratification or even just to know that we are reliable human beings, we have to be able to deliver on promises. We also have to unfortunately follow through on consequences, which is why punishment can get so dodgy and difficult, because again, punishment isn't always consistent for kids either. So, I mean, I'm a big fan, you know, if you can at all avoid punishment and then try and be really consistent. If you're, uh, you know, if there's a natural consequence that will follow, be consistent in letting the natural consequence happen. But equally, if you're promising, some kind of reward for something make sure you're available and able to deliver it Um, and so that's how you teach children so what you, you teach them is that you know that they do get what they are promised this better thing that they were waiting for actually comes um, that gives them a bit of faith that, that it's worth waiting and also that the thing that comes is delivered in, in what I would consider a timely fashion yeah. because you give them some idea rather than just saying oh yeah, you know, if you're good, you'll get whatever and so it's like, well, what counts as being good? You know, yeah. when, when do I know I've been good enough? What's the, you know, so you're much better off being really specific about it. For example, say it's, you, you say to your child, look, you know, I, I hear you, you'd love to have a biscuit now and it's, you know, just half an hour before dinner so if you can wait, you You know, not only will you get a biscuit after dinner... Uh, I'll actually give you your ice cream as well, all right? So if you can avoid, just hold off now, you know, Mm. wait until dinner happens. After dinner, then, you can have a biscuit and some ice cream. And so it's really clear then, you know, there's a very clear timeline. They now have to wait, you know, an hour, you know, Mm. a half an hour for the food to be prepared, and then half an hour for the bit of dinner and chat and whatever else, or maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes, depending on which time you have as a family, to devote to it. Mm. Um, And then they'll get the, the reward that they were promised. And so when that happens, then they think, okay, you know, my, my man, my dad, they're a person of their word, um, but also that, um, you know, it does it does work to wait, you know, it is actually better when, when mm. I wait and, and when I don't just take what's right there in front of me.
3: Do, do kids, David, understand something along this lines? Mm-hmm. So you've, a, you've an eight or nine year old absolutely dying to have some friends over like they always used to have, to play mm-hmm. in the back garden, to just mess about as eight or nine year olds do. And, and You know, mom says, I promise that your friends will be able to come over very soon. What I can't promise is when that will be, but I promise it will happen. Is that too complex for them to take in?
11: I think so. I don't think there's any point in promising. I think you're much better off in that kind of a situation, empathising and going, oh, I think you would love to have your friends. It would be so great. I would love for you to have your friends over. I just don't know when we can arrange that. It's so difficult because I have to wait until we get the big message from the government to say we're allowed to do these things because at the moment, if we do these things, it seems like it's going to be too dangerous because of coronavirus. And so that's the kind of message. So you just acknowledge and empathise with their desire to have their friends over, their disappointment of not being able to have their friends over, their frustration Mm -hmm. of not being able to have their friends over. But there's no point in in promising anything. I think you know, because again, it's like saying, you know, I promise you can have your friends over, but unless there's a a time connected to that, that promise is kind of meaningless. I mean, you know, I can say you can, I promise you can have your friends over. It could be two years, you know, um, but I'll still have delivered on my promise in my own mind. But for a child, you know, that's that's just too long a gap. So I wouldn't be bothered trying to to promise them that these things will happen. I I would just empathise with the fact that it's frustrating or disappointing or sad that they can't happen right now Um, but your intention is as soon as they can happen, they will happen.
3: Okay, David, thank you for your time this morning. That's David Coleman a child psychologist. Don't make promises that you can't keep Um, just empathise and just say, you know I understand it's terrible, I'd love to have my friends over too but we can't just now and always use the just now bit 1850-715-996, Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. It it reminds me of something I, I once heard. Uh, a politician, a young person wanting to get into pol- politics, was told, and you know the never make promises that you can't keep is one bit of advice. In politics, it's never make promises that you might someday have to keep. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. On the nine babies, what would you do? What would you do if you had nine children, or your, your sister, or your cousin, or your friend had nine children? Cleona says, I'd be thinking of presents to buy for all my sisters, because I'd need babysitters. I'd need an army of babysitters. Holy heck, you'd never get a night out. <laughs> and Harvey, good man Harvey, Harvey puts it all in context. Can you imagine trying to potty train that lot? We were working out the child benefit allowance for nine children. And thank you, Antoinette has come up with a table for same. I still have to do the multiples. I'll work it out. Thank you, though. She's got the basics for me. Uh, but the the multiple births bit, we have to take out the calculator and slide rule and probably need a computer for this lot. But thanks, I'll work on it. Colin says, I'd be looking for a bigger house and I'd be making sure that the hubby was working on it already. Uh, 1850-715-996. On the vaccines uh, via WhatsApp, I'm 36, I have asthma it's probably why I got it this week, but I got a call out of the blue Tuesday. Got my first Pfizer yesterday in Carrigaline, second in a month. Happy days! I hope everyone else who wants one can get theirs as promptly as I did. You know what? I've been, I've been, just I'll do numbers and I'll do vaccines and all that tomorrow because Friday is when we kind of do it. But I, I have a good feeling, lads. I have a good feeling in me water. That after much gnashing of teeth and much procrastination and basically arson about, I think it's all falling into place. I'm hearing more and more people that got the call. And more and more people that got the call from their GP to say, Look, I've got vaccines here, do you want one? And between the centers and the this this portal that we have and, and GPs calling people I think it's starting to happen. And that excites me. And, and look at the daily case numbers. Now, Cork didn't have the best day ever yet, yesterday. But at the same time, the vast number of cases being announced every day are now in the very much younger age group. Not that it's not important, not that they're not important, not that they can't get very sick. But what it shows is that the cohorts of people that they're vaccinating are not getting it. Which sounds really exciting. We'll come back to it tomorrow, I promise. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. But a special tree planting ceremony took place yesterday, organised by the Magazine Road Residents Association. And Catherine Clancy is their chair. Catherine, good morning to you. Good
12: morning, PJ. This was morning. a nice
3: little ceremony. Oh, it was lovely. Yeah. What, what, what was the idea?
12: Well, what it is, I suppose, there's an area of ground there, PJ, between um, Magazine Road and going out onto Glashine Road. Was that's called the school path. And originally the first Glasheen school was away down there at the end of machine And that's how the young boys and girls, you know, went to the school. So it's very much part of the area here. And, you know, we had a number of our residents um, who passed away during the uh, covid the, the residents in particular didn't pass away from COVID, but they passed away. And we just felt we would some way of marking, you know, their passing and also their contribution to the community. So um, with the support of Cork City Council and uh, Eamon Callan from the Parks Department, we actually did a tree planting ceremony yesterday in their memory. So it was actually beautiful and a number of the residents came down and we planted eight trees. We had two hazel, two holly two apple and two cherries. They were Mm. fine established trees as well. uh, Where did they come from,
9: Catherine?
12: Cork City Council provided them and their staff helped us. They were there with the digger. So they um, helped us to plant them as well. And I think, you know, for the year that it was, we just needed that lift and it gave a lift so much to the people in the Mm. area as well. And three of the trees were dedicated to three of the residents who passed away all in their 90s right. uh, during the year and one of them was Paddy O'Sull- uh, O'Sullivan he was 99 and uh, last year we celebrated his birthday in Wellington Square, the residents in the area and he was very healthy, he was shopping the week before he passed away and unfortunately he passed away very suddenly but we loved him and if anybody ever went into Connolly Hall they'd have known him, he was Mr. Sipdu you know, he was the man that met people in Connolly Hall and oh, he was that, very that much... That
3: yeah, yeah, ah, 1990. Ah, I knew him from yes. donkey's years.
12: Everybody knew him. What a, you oh, know, he's, he's a lovely making. old devil. Yeah, yeah, no, and, um, like, last summer he was painting his own house, doing his garden, and, um, you know, ah. a very, very active man, and such a stride when he'd walk, he'd, Pass you out on the road, he would walk so fast at 99 years of age. Yeah, so the first tree we planted was in Paddy's memory.
3: Right, and then there was Dan and uh, Bill. And, and now, Dan... This was in general... Okay. The, the, these weren't people yeah. who died of COVID, cats, and These are just no, people no, that no, she No, 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 they were all in
12: their 90s, but there were residents like Dan or Everybody who known Dan because he was a caretaker in Glashin School. Right. So, not as long as he had a caretaker in the school, we felt he was a caretaker for every child. that <laughs> went in and out of there as well, like, know, you know. He know. took ownership of them all. And then yeah. Bill Murphy was another very good community person who actually um, was in Horgan's, very much involved with senior citizens in Horgan's buildings. You know, so,
3: Especially yeah. when you think about it, and just mentioning Paddy there now, and uh, when you told me who he was, I said, crikey, I, and just a, a fleeting thought that entered my head. What a funeral he would have had in yeah, normal absolutely. times, but couldn't oh. have it.
12: Absolutely. And he was buried um three days after Christmas, you know. I mm. so he passed away very suddenly. But there was um, you know, a lot of um his colleagues from Sipto who arrived out at St. Barrett Cemetery. It was a shocking wet morning and um when I was coming out I met Joe Flynn and Joe Flynn had a tear in his eye and he said, Catherine, this isn't the send off that Paddy would have wanted nor deserved you know. Yeah. And it marks
3: it, doesn't it? I suppose planting the trees is such a lovely gesture, planting the trees. A tree signifies new growth for the future, Mm -hmm. but also Mm -hmm. signifies that, Mm -hmm. you know, these people, we haven't been able to say goodbye properly. Like how awful must it be, Catherine, for any family who's lost someone in the last 14 months not to be able to say goodbye properly?
12: Yeah, well, we did a tree then as well, um, PJ, for everybody who passed away from COVID as well, you know, yeah, and from, the uh, I suppose, it was the school path, so we planted another one for all the boys and girls and who had passed, who had gone to Glashine School, you know, the national school there, and also the principal there, um, the ex-principal, Colm Lynch, he passed away as well a number of weeks ago, you know. So okay. there's been a lot of people who are part of the history of the area that we've lost in the last 12 months yeah. and then I supposed to be positive and to finish up we planted our last tree we planted was for the future yes. and particularly for the young people you know that the future will be bright and you know that they'll be happy and they'll be healthy yeah. because and we have a lot of young people in this
3: area as well and here's hoping that it's not too long before we can uh, get out and all see each other again uh, together thank you Catherine Catherine Clancy Chair of the Magazine Road Residence Association crikey I didn't know that Paddy Sullivan, he'd have been around Connolly Hall, like, since forever. I mean, I'm sure he probably built the damn thing. If was... Oh, what a lovely man. And I'm so shocked to discover that Paddy passed away. What a lovely man.
2: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. 96 96 96.
1: Email opinion at
2: 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96FM.
3: Uh, we had a call from Rose O'Sullivan, uh, Paddy's daughter. We mentioned Paddy, uh, the uh, man from SIP2. Uh, Who passed away there over Christmas time I wasn't aware And Catherine Clancy told me about him this morning Just there before 10 o'clock His daughter Rose rang just to thank us for the lovely words And was quite emotional on the phone Rose, he was a lovely man I didn't know him well I would only ever have met him a half a dozen times But it was very hard not to go around Connolly Hall at any point And not see him and just nod to him and tip the hat to him And everybody knew who he was uh, yeah, um, and may he rest in peace and, and my thoughts with, with you and the rest of the family 185715996 I told you that Antoinette was being very, very helpful and she, before uh, 10 o'clock she, she sent us in uh, from the Citizens Information website the table of what you get paid for for multiple numbers of children um, We're following, we've just this is the most bizarre story in the world at the moment, we think anyway, uh, from a mother and children type of aspect anyway uh, this is the story of Halima Sissé. she's the woman who gave birth in Morocco to nine babies, five girls, four boys. She thought she was having seven uh, but they were hiding. It was a bit crowded in there and they couldn't all be seen on the ultrasound so she she had nine. And they're all doing well, and it'll be a world record if they all survive, which, of course, we hope that they do. But we were wondering, like, how you'd react if you or anyone belonged to you or anyone you knew had nine children. And, of course, the question that comes up was the children's allowance. So, or the child benefit. So if you've nine children in Ireland, if you have a family of nine children, you get 1,260 yo-yos a month for those nine children in child benefit. However, if they all happen to be born together, of course, they are a multiple birth. And there are multiple birth provisions within the child benefit scheme. So if you have twins, you get one and a half times the normal rate for each child. So if you get twins, you get paid for three. All right? We know that we benefited from that ourselves. It was damn handy at the time. I can tell they go through a lot of nappies um but for triplets and other multiple births, child benefit is paid at double the normal monthly rate for each child. So if you had nine all in one go, God bless and spare you, you get one thousand two hundred and sixty euro by two, so. €2,520 Euro in children's allowance for the nine children. You kind of wonder, would it even cover nappies and powder and pseudo-cream and all the other such things that you need? But, yeah, €2,520 Euro in child benefit for the nine children. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We had an interesting little thing going on at the show yesterday where we were asking you the thing that you didn't learn in school, but you wish you had, and that might have been useful to you if you had. And we had some very interesting suggestions in the course of the morning. Trust me, of course, I forgot the best one, which came in from a couple of people, Antoinette included, and one or two other people that came up, in that every kid should learn sign language in class. And I thought, that's a fabulous idea. That's just a great idea. Everybody, my, my daughter, my daughter learned sign language when she was in school because one of her best friends was deaf. And in fact, Jem became quite proficient at sign language at one point. But every child should have sign language. It was a wonderful, wonderful suggestion. How and ever should gaming be something that our kids learn in school? What? PJ, gaming, actually gaming, doing video games, the science of games, the playing of games, the designing of games, everything to do with games. They did a survey on teenagers recently and they found that an awful lot of them would like to get into gaming as a career. Like, it's an enormous industry. I, I guess, look, if you don't know it, you don't know. The gaming industry is worth are you ready for how much? I'll tell you in a minute actually, maybe Trina will, will tell us. Trina Campbell, a writer and producer of Gamer Mode, which was Ireland's first TV series on video games. Trina, how much is the industry worth globally? Good morning to you.
4: Good morning, PJ. Um, I love it. Uh, so globally, the value of the global games industry is estimated to be around 138 billion a year.
3: One hundred and thirty eight thousand million a year
4: so if to put it in perspective, music is around fifty three billion, and if you took the global box office revenues for last year, even though we weren't going to the cinema as much, it would be around twelve billion, so you'd be stacking those on top of each other, and you still wouldn't reach the point where the games industry is.:
3: Now that must create with it tens of thousands of jobs
4: absolutely it's it's just even in Ireland alone and and we're you know we're we're still very much emerging into that space it's 240 million every year in video games in Ireland
3: that's what it generates for the economy Yeah. yeah so what kind of jobs are involved
4: Well, it's, it's one of the things, oh, it's so, it's such an exciting field because it's so diverse. I mean, you've got everything going on from storytellers who are making up games to coders to computer science. To like, you know, video games uh, players, to esports, to YouTubers. It's a huge, massive industry in terms of the amount of people who are involved. And some of the stuff that we're doing is in areas which we wouldn't even have thought about a couple of years ago. I mean, you've got a, an esports research center based in Limerick where they actually test your brain to see if you have the reflexes and skills to become a pro esports player playing video games for a living. And, oh, uh, stop, stop, awesome. stop,
3: stop, stop. Playing video games for a living.
4: Yes, yes. It's, it's, uh, it's really interesting, actually, on the show that we did. And your timing is brilliant, actually, because I heard you talking about sign language earlier. And RT is actually repeating the series Gamer Mode Moment at 7.40 on RT2 in a sign language version of the show, which we're so happy about Excellent. actually seeing that come out now. But one of the people we interviewed is uh, Connor Tobin, who called Ranzer. Uh, he's an e- he's an esports player based in Ireland. He's a FIFA number one player, and it was the very first question that our interviewers Ava and Millie Brady, who are about twelve, asked him. Was like, can you actually make a living out of this? And they can. They get paid. For the tournaments that they enter, they get paid prize funds and yeah. they get paid by sponsors as yeah. well. So it is becoming a living.
3: A I seem genuine to remember. Job. Yeah, I seem to remember Trina as you do be fluting around the channels at one o'clock <laughs> in the morning looking for something to work, lo- something to watch. And I thought there might be some rugby on, so I went searching, and I came across FIFA European Championship. And I got no, no, hold on, that's not on right now. It was the game.
4: And they were covering
3: it on
4: one of the sports channels. There's two two or three sports channels now that are are covering that a lot. Like Sky has a dedicated esports channel. And it's really interesting if you go to those matches because they do the whole thing. Like they do the lights, they do the national anthems, they present the team, the team has their uniforms and they play World Championship esports games. And it predominantly has been a mainland European thing for quite some time. But you can see now, if you look at rugby, for example, um, Munster Rugby have signed an esports team that now plays on the circuit playing esports games. So it's becoming, it's slowly starting to creep in here. It's a lot more advanced in Europe. And if you were, for example, an esports player playing on the German national team playing esports, you're looking at about being on a salary of about 16000 a, a month for that job.
3: Whew. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's, that's nearly two hundred grand a year.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And these kids are young, PJ. They're really young. They're like starting off 16, 20-year-olds. They have managers. They have nutritionists. They have coaches. Yeah. And they treat gaming as like a serious profession where they're, they're gaming 8, well, 12
13: hours a day.
3: Well, now, stay there, if you will, for me, Trina, because we've had a call mm-hmm. to the show. Uh, Anthony.
13: If uh, if uh, the teachers can
14: get a student to be very successful in um, YouTubing or streaming, that can get them, like, a lot of money. And I think, personally, I think, if a student gets successful, a portion of the money should be put, brought back into the school for education purposes and the other portion
15: given to the streamer. Or if it's for game design, then vice versa.
3: And do you do a lot of gaming yourself, Anthony?
15: Yeah, I also make um, digital art on my, on my
3: computer. Well, you make, you make apps, do you? Apps, uh, yeah. Good on you, lad. And is it just a hobby? You're only 14.
8: Yeah, it's just a hobby. I also do photography as well as a hobby.
3: Crikey. And would you like to do something professional in, in, in gaming? You would? Yeah, I would. Wow. Wow. Anthony, thank you very much for calling the show. Absolutely, delighted to hear that. There, there, there's that's your market, Triana, isn't it? It
4: is. It, it's. We made this show for the Antonys, um who are out there because we really like. There hadn't been a gaming show in Ireland, and we went in and we pitched it, and we said it just it just needs to be there because you have so many incredibly talented kids who are like growing up doing coder Jojos. They're They're teaching themselves off, yeah. in, off the YouTube, learning how to code, and we wanted to give a show a place that they could find out more information about what next or what they could do or how they could start or highlighting other kids who are, who have been involved in what they were doing. So yeah, I we made it for the Antonies.
3: Brilliant. And there and there he is watching. So the show is back. Let us know when again.
4: Oh, it's it's doing a repeated moment on RT2 every morning weekdays at 7.40 on on RT2. So if you're having breakfast before you go out to school, it's a great time to catch it. It's also on the RT player um, all the time as well.
3: And, And lastly... Trina, in what way would we go about putting it on the curriculum? Like, I can imagine the look of some headmasters if you said, "Right, you need to let them play games every Friday for forty minutes." But it ain't going to happen that way. But how would we? How would we get it onto the curriculum?
4: EJ, it's a brilliant question, and I have to say, I was blown away uh, last year when we were lucky enough to go to CBS and Monaghan Primary School up there and they're doing, they brought Minecraft and in education into the classroom. And what they were doing in their history class was they were, you, they were recreating the trenches in World War I. So they were researching what were the trenches like, how deep they were, what were the materials, what were the weapons used. And most of that class were dying to be in charge of no man's land because you could blow everything up in there. <laughs> but in the process of doing all of this and learning how to code and create this amazing landscape, they were learning history and they were so excited about it and so into showing it off and so into showing everybody else what they had learned. And I think that's one of the ways we can look at bringing computers and computer literacy and digital knowledge into the classroom is through using things like that, like Minecraft in education or coding classes, like where you're you're coding your Minecraft ca- characters for fun, because this generation is a digital generation, and in a lot of ways, we need to kind of demystify it for parents. That, like you know, that it's okay that if they're worried about something, they could actually just sit down and play the game with their kid and find out what 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 the game is about. Mm. But we need to be like, gearing them up for the workforce and for the skills that they need for the future.
3: Yeah, and I, I think the, the the very strong advice here, Trina, is that if. A youngster says at the breakfast table or the dinner table, I'd like to do gaming as a career or I'd like to be a professional gamer. Don't laugh. Don't dismiss. Sit down and say, "Okay, well, how are we going to go about that then?
4: I think you're absolutely right, and it's about people being allowed, like the Anthony's, to follow their passion. Like obviously, he has parents at home who are like, "Oh, you're interested in that? Well, that's great. We'll, we'll, you know, go off and and we'll do a bit of research or we'll look at YouTube or we'll see what competitions are available online for you to enter." And I think you're going to see more of that, and we should be supportive of it because in the old days. You know, it was. It would be great if you got a job in the bank, but like in the new generation, it would be absolutely amazing for a lot of these kids if they started working in the games industry.
3: Okay, listen. Good to talk to you, Trina Trina Campbell, the the writer and producer of Gamer Mode, which is Ireland's first ever television series devoted entirely to video games. hundred and thirty-eight billion dollars annually is the value of the gaming revolution. It's huge. It's absolutely huge, and all sorts of different jobs. She mentioned things like designers and coders and all of that. And we should not forget musicians. I'm reminded, and she's been on the program with me, I'm reminded of my friend Nella, who now lives in Kinsale, but Nella is one of the voices of World of Warcraft, Canticle of Sacrifice. If you're into that, you'll know her voice. And uh, she just picked that up by going randomly to a to a convention and handing over her C D and say, That's my voice. The next thing you know, she's recording and touring China in a live show with World of Warcraft. If she's listening, she lives in Kinsale now with Phelan and her daughter. Uh, hi Nella, talk to you soon, kid. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
9: Can we just talk?
3: the opinion line
2: on corks 96 fm with dairy made premium spread
1: 100% natural and made in cork using West Cork cream
2: simon murdoch and the best music mix
1: weekdays from midday on corks 96
10: fm Stay along on the throwback thursday quiz today we'll go back in time and how about your very own pub in your back garden what a prize you could be our next qualifier See you from twelve on Corks ninety six FM.
3: Just getting back to the the mom who had nine kids. Your, your stuff is still coming in. Uh, it's just it's the most unbelievable story. On a serious note, though, says this message: whether it's one baby or nine, everyone should remember the best you can give a new mom is an hour or two of your time, so she can get away for a break. With nine of them, I, can can you see anybody volunteering? to take them off her hands for an hour, can you? Realistically, like, would you do it? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
14: My name is Stephen Callaghan and I am a student in Glamour Community College. I am delighted to be taking part in the Transi- transition year video competition. The topic I have chosen is the burning of Cork, 1920. The reason why I picked this topic is because it was an important event in the Irish War of Independence. The Irish War of Independence has been a period of Irish history which has always fascinated me. Another reason why I chose this topic was because it it gave me the chance to explore the history of my locality.
3: Stephen, that's a brilliant video. I watched it this morning. Well done, young man. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What gave you the idea for us? You've a, you've a, a a huge interest in that particular history, that part of our history.
14: Yeah, um, I, really, I really do enjoy history. Um, I'm lucky to attend a great school in Blamire Community College and um, I was lucky to have a superb history teacher in Juniper, Miss Reeves. And I've been very fortunate to have her again for TY, I'm in mean, TY, um, have her for history. And I suppose um, she was telling the class about um, that there was this competition organised by the Department of Education. Um, it was or- organised um, for transition year students to uh, submit a video um, about any aspect of Irish history, right. um, so she came to me about it because uh, she knows that I really enjoy history, and um, I ch- I said yeah I I, I love to enter it. Um and uh, I chose the topic the burning of Cork. Um, I suppose the reason why I chose it was because you know um, you know I'm a proud Cork person, and um, you know I suppose it was a great opportunity to explore the history of my locality in greater greater detail. You know.
3: Yeah. Where do you live, Stephen?
14: I live in Montanari. right yep
3: so you're not far from the from where it all started
14: no yeah i'm not 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 too far at all, and um, I was lucky like when I was recording the video <clears throat> i was um I thought it would be a great idea to you know kind of go to different places where certain events happened, you know, mm. to record different videos there, you know, so um I was kind of lucky like I'm only like i say a few minutes away, really like from Dylan's Cross, yeah. where the ambush happened um. So, you know, it was it, it was good, it was very fun, you know, to record it and stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, I, I literally didn't have any idea <clears throat> about video editing or anything like that. So, um, you know... Uh, Who taught
3: you all of that, Stephen?
14: Um, well, a guy in my class, actually, he, he kind of um, he gave me a few video editing softwares to try out. Right. And then I, I went on YouTube and I, I watched a good few videos um, uh, on how to learn and stuff about it. Um so yeah, um, so once I had all the videos recorded, I was kind of just messing around with it, and eventually I managed. Well, hopefully it's okay. But oh, it's, it's all it's lovely and know? smooth. <laughs> it, it
3: really does work very well. It really does you know? work. For, and and congratulations on it. Now, I, I suppose what people mightn't realize is you, as well as learning a new skill, video editing and all that kind of thing, you you have to do it while while dealing with a visual impairment.
14: Exactly. Yeah, I do have a visual impairment. Uh, dorsal stream dysfunction. What's um, that mean? So it's uh, how would you describe it? It's kind of like a kind of kind of perception, if that makes sense. Uh, so, like, say you know, I suppose the best way I don't really know how to describe it, if, if that makes sense. I suppose you know, looking kind of, at, I suppose I kind of see things in kind of uh, in two D, if that makes sense. It does. So everyone else can have greater perception and things, you know. Yes. Uh, you know, um, I suppose. Look, you you have to look. Like, like, you have to you look know, for.
3: Um, it's harder for you to see things the exactly, way I see yes, them. Yeah,
14: yeah. Um, exactly. So you know, I suppose, like I'm the type of person that never lets anything stop me, not let any challenge stop me from doing what I want to achieve. Um, so you know, you know that's that is really you know um, yeah. yeah.
3: Well, congratulations, and it's and well, then, and it's a really you. You also have great knowledge. Fair play to yeah. you. What, what age are you by the way?
14: I'm 17, PJ. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose like. I suppose like most people, like myself, like before, like before the actual research going into the project, like you know, you've kind of a, an idea about the about the burning of corp, You know, uh, you know, like you'd know if something happened in 1920. You know, like I wouldn't have known the exact details. But you know, I I, I suppose when I researched it, like you know, I really learnt a lot yes. about it. And I suppose like in the making of the video and sending sending it to my friends and my family, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles you know they um you know i suppose they they've learned something new from it you know yeah. cuz it's such a it's such a huge part of cork's history um you know it was such a devastating event and i think it's it's very important that you mm. know everyone in
3: cork knows about it you know have you any idea what you'd like to do career wise would history uh, maybe teaching have part of it
14: uh like i i literally don't <laughs> i don't have a clue what i want to do you know yeah, yeah. um i suppose look i have my mind open about everything you know man. Um, I would You know, I I I don't really have my mind made up. Well, that's a good, it's
3: good to have it. You've plenty of time to decide anyway. Plenty of time to decide. Stephen, congratulations! It's it's a great piece of work and well done, and just lovely to get a chat with you on the opinion line on Cork's ninety six FM. That is uh, Stephen Callahan, and his video is great. We might even share it there, lads. It's it's worth it's worth a look. It really is worth a look. Put together, he learned as he went, uh, using YouTube and using other software that his buddy gave him.
10: Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. To make this
3: thing, this is first bit of filmmaking that is actually done. Uh, 1850 715
2: Can we just talk
3: The Opinion Line on Corks
2: 96FM. With dairy
1: made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Access all areas on Corks 96FM. Your
10: guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. You can shake off lockdown on your own personal dance floor this summer as five performers will guide socially distanced audience members in the shake. It's a new performance event at the fort from choreographer and Former Laura Murphy, and for further details you can check out CorkMidsummer.com Access All Areas. David Keenan released his single Peter O'Toole's Drinking Stories ahead of his sophomore album, What Then? David's also announced a tour for Ireland coming up later this year when he plays Cypress Avenue on Friday, December 6th.
2: Access All
10: Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at AAA at 96fm.ie
1: Access all areas
2: Your guide to nightlife on side On
1: Cork's 96FM
3: Do you know what makes you happy? And do you know why you're happy today and weren't happy yesterday? Or were happy now and weren't so happy two years ago? Do you know that happiness actually isn't just a state of mind, it's a science? and they're doing an awful lot of research into it. Yeah, actually researching what makes us happy and how we stay happy when we are happy and why sometimes we're not happy. And it's all been put into a book called The Science of Happiness, written by Professor Brendan Kelly from Trinity College, Dublin. Brendan, good morning to you. Are you are there for me? How are you? Good. It's, it's a fascinating field, the field of happiness, but I wouldn't have put it down... a science?
7: No, uh, most people wouldn't imagine it to be a science at all because happiness changes so quickly and what makes you happy could be, and probably is, quite different to what makes me happy but, you know, a lot of research over the past couple of decades have shown some patterns in happiness right around the world and, you know, understanding these can help us that little bit more to try to get that little bit happier and that's what the book is about. It's about trying to to put some sense on what seems quite random, uh, but really isn't.
3: They've defined it uh, as having six principles. Is that six things to follow to make you happy?
7: Yeah, well, this is six ideas or six uh, kind of concepts that's useful to keep in mind. So, for example, one of them is, balance, trying to, you know, do certain things, you know, to to, to a moderate degree and not go overboard. Acceptance is another important principle, because we do need to accept certain things about our lives. One of the really good examples of this is to do with age, um, because uh, the studies show that happiness, we start out life happy, we become uh, less happy and we reach a low point in at the age of 47 on average which is, is my Is that age. precise, is it? It is that precise and that's my age right now and then after that if we remain in good health the chances are that our happiness will increase as we go into later life so that's some, something very useful to be aware of and certainly listeners in their mid-40s who are finding the whole thing very difficult things generally do improve uh, in, uh, as the years move on
3: Yeah is that possible? Because, like you say, children are happy. The happiness of a child is is a joy to behold. And and then as we get older, you know, you deal with teenage angst and puberty. Then you get into your twenties, and you have to deal with the things that come then into your thirties. Possibly trying to buy a house, but it all it all sort of rolls up together until in the middle of your forties. You're you're saddled with debt. You have a couple of screaming children and you don't think you'll ever get out of it. Is is that what that's about?
7: Yeah, I mean, that's what that's about. And in every culture and country around the world, they find this. This is the part of life when the burdens become the greatest and they seem to matter the most. In addition to what you said, some people are working and they're either getting promoted or they're not. And that brings stresses either which way you look at it. But as the years go by, things tend to pick up and... Um, uh, things, things do improve and I suppose that's one of the really positive messages from the research and in the book which is that being aware of some of these general patterns will help a lot of people to maybe put their lives in a little bit more perspective and not be so, not be, not, not, not be so hopeless about the situation that they're currently finding themselves in.
3: They did a happiness index or league table. We're 14th or 15th I think on it. Why are they so happy in Finland?
7: Uh, they 're constantly happy in finland um there, there's a, and other Scandinavian countries. it seems to be to do with what we expect um out of out of life and uh, having a, a sort of a sense of Um, accepting things, but also a sense of community is very important. These are countries with a lot, you know, with strong governments, with with certain kinds of rules and social welfare, and that seems to benefit most people. We like a bit of structure around us, and the Scandinavian countries offer that. If you look at the other end of the spectrum, down at number 149 at the bottom, you have Afghanistan with, you know, such political unrest and uncertainty. So, Ireland does pretty well. You know, if you ask Irish people, how happy are you, on a score of 0 to 10, most people will give themselves a score of a 7 or a little bit over. So we're a pretty happy bunch here in Ireland, despite everything.
3: You mentioned the whole 47, and something that women are dealing with at 47 that men generally will never have to deal with at all is menopause and life changes drastically for women in their mid-40s, not so much for men. So, so is, is men's happiness and women's happiness a different beast?
7: Well, they're more similar than you would think. We are more similar. Uh, traditionally, women rated themselves as happier than men rated themselves significantly so, but over the past 20 years, they've equalized. Women's happiness has come down a little bit. Men's happiness has come up a little bit. And in fact, men, we now rate ourselves that tiny little bit happier than women rate themselves. And this is so interesting because, you know, women have experienced increased Equality now nowhere near enough in mm. most areas of life, but some improvements. But the main beneficiaries of this, in terms of happiness, seems to be men, because it looks like women have still been sort of kept with the unfair amount of domestic work as well as working outside the home. So there's a there's a message there. Also, mm. having children is a very interesting one. Um, we find that uh, having a child boosts the parents' happiness for around two years, but then they're back to back to what they were beforehand. So um, children can bring happiness, but mm. it won't necessarily last forever. And you've already spoken about screaming teenagers there. In <laughs> later life, um, the happiest people are parents whose children have left home <laughs> uh, compared to those who never had children or those whose children are... <laughs> Still, you know, still there at home into their 40s.
3: A friend of mine has a saying, um, Brendan, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Is there anything, anything scientific in that?
7: Well, let's say being in a stable long-term relationship it does bring happiness to both people in the relationship. It also brings happiness to children. When you you look at lifetime happiness, you know, the greatest gift we can give our children is a home that is free of conflict. You know, other things about the home don't matter as much. um, But if you're interested in your child's happiness, keeping your home free of conflict is easily the most important thing. So I'm a psychiatrist and I often see people who are staying together for the sake of the children, you know, a couple. And that's a very nice idea once the conflict stops. But if the arguing is still going on, then that child's chances of happiness will be impaired. So these are the kinds of things in the book. And I I think thinking about them is helpful when we think about our well-being and our happiness, and particularly maybe that of our children. (laughs)
3: The, the the book has come out to correspond with your 47th birthday, which that's not a coincidence, I suspect. But, but just as a psychiatrist, Brendan, what about this one? Has the pandemic, in your professional experience, has the pandemic over the last 14 months affected what you might call our core happiness as people?
7: It has affected us. But not as much as we would have expected. Like if you told me a year and a half ago what we were going to go through with the pandemic and the restrictions, I would have said that's impossible. There is no way anyone will cope with it. But there was a lot more coping than I might have expected. Now people had very different experiences. There are people out there listening today who are bereaved as a result of COVID, people who are ill, people who've lost their jobs, people who face financial uncertainty um, and, and so forth. And yet, when you look at the studies of the population, around one person in five is experiencing anxiety or depression, which is more than they can cope with using their usual um, techniques, if you like. Mm. Um, And, you know, that's a lot of people and that's a lot of suffering, but it's not as high as I would have thought. And I think we're more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And um, that, you know, and that's going to certainly be a take-home message that we have somehow, with difficulty, I know, coped, but we have coped with the most extraordinary 14 months Mm. and you know now that things are brightening up that 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 little bit with the numbers and the vaccinations and so forth and this is maybe the time to think about happiness and taking those steps that we're uh, now allowed to take with the easing of restrictions taking them carefully but taking those steps and, and getting things back a little bit to how they were
3: and is it as simple as eating well getting some exercise sometimes
7: yeah, we need these things are important. We need to eat well. We need to sleep well. We need to get exercise for about 150 minutes a week. If you're doing more than that, I don't know why you're doing it. I hope you enjoy it. But 150 minutes is plenty. But I think there's something else as well that we need. We all need an activity that absorbs us. We need something that we do that allows us to forget about the pandemic, forget about our worries, the past, the future, whatever. Now, some people get into the zone like this when they're running or swimming or something like that or gardening or knitting but we all need an activity that takes our mind away from whatever is troubling us rightly or wrongly and the more time we can spend doing that activity in a state of flow then ultimately you know the happier uh, we will be as a result and that's one of the things i talk about a good deal in the book and i quote henry david thoreau the philosopher He said this, this is Thoreau now, and I quote him. He said, happiness is like a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it will elude you. But if you turn your attention to other things, it will come and sit softly on your shoulders. So if you turn your attention to other things, happiness will sort of creep up on you as as you're absorbed in whatever it is you're doing. So I, I think we all need an activity like that as well as the eating and the sleeping and the exercise.
3: I love that, Brendan, and it's a great way to finish. Thank you very much, Professor Brendan Kelly, author of a new book called The Science of Happiness. He's a consultant psychiatrist and professor of of psychiatry at Trinity College, Dublin. We've been saying it all the way through. Find something in the day, in the week, and as often as you can, like your happy place. The place where the pandemic can get nowhere near you and spend time there every time, every chance that you can. John was on asking a question. Has anyone come up with the answer as to why the traffic lights weren't working in the city yesterday? This time, yesterday morning, we were inundated on all our platforms with people telling us that the traffic lights were out here, there, and everywhere. There has been no actual explanation as yet. Um, there's an investigation underway to find out what happened. And if we do find out what happened, you'll be the first to know, as it were. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. If you use Instagram particularly for business, and if you have a decent-sized following, take note.
5: I was like what's with all the emails? This is half nine on a bank holiday Monday evening. I I, I call it a fake Sunday. And I had the first one was new login on Instagram somewhere in the UK. The next one was phone number removed. Um, phone number removed from Instagram. Email changed on Instagram. Username changed on Instagram. And then we got a lovely email. Hi, we got access to your Instagram to restore return it to you. Write us on our email. Your time account is blocked through your Instagram settings. We are waiting for a response from you within two hours. If we do not receive a response, then we delete all your information from your account and then we sell your account. There were two of these emails from two separate addresses saying the exact same thing. At first, I was like, What is this? This is, this is, you know, when you're running an e-retail business, anyone that runs a business out there and actually anyone that has a website will know this. You're constantly getting emails along the lines of, we'll do your SEO. Do you want an app? There's constantly these different things that are out there. So I wasn't really sure how legit this was, but it was, it was, it was panicky. It was enough to kind of get me a little bit like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And, um, I started, I went then to get into Nima Brush, and it wasn't there. It said, we're not logging you in. And I, again, was trying to get in, and, and then I was getting more of these emails. The, the uh, two-hour one then went down and got another email telling me I had an hour left, that I was running out of time. Then it went down to
3: 40 minutes. Yeah, that's Neve. Nima Brush is uh, your, your online company. Hello. Hi, Neve. So uh, have you got it back yet?
5: No, and um, I don't think we will get it back it's, it's gone. Um, so what we've, what we've since figured out is that, um, what they do, it's like the modern age boosting of cars. They have taken my old site. They have changed the name. They've erased all the content, but the following is still there. So somebody on the page yesterday suggested, uh, find somebody who you messaged before it disappears. So I contacted a friend and she was able to find it, but it literally, it just at the top of it it says Instagram user. There's nothing on it. It's completely bare, naked page. But there's 30,000 followers on it. So this is what's happening. They're taking accounts, they're wiping them clean, and then they're selling them to a new business. That basically means that they have an already established pr- platform when they get going. So we all know how hard it is to build um, a following on Instagram. So these, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. They're selling them on. So it's like changing the chassis, changing the plates and right. selling the car on. It's so crazy. How many
3: How many did you have?
5: Uh, we had just over 30,000
3: followers. That's a sizable following on Instagram.
5: It is. Yeah, but the thing about it was that, um, you know, we're a small business. We started um, really like in 2014 and it's taken that long to build that following. It's been a very, very gradual kind of build and a lot of content, a lot of videos. We kind of treated it like our YouTube channel. So we had videos there for... Every brush, every set, you know, um, yeah, it was there was there was a sizable amount of information and then mm. memories and then how the product has, you know, developed over the years. So yeah, it was very bittersweet seeing yeah. it seeing and it disappear.
3: And they obviously wanted money to give it back to you.
5: Yeah, yeah. I got a ransom. <laughs> Oh, when I look back on it now, it's so funny. Uh, it's not really, but it was just, you know, so so surreal at the time. And um, they wanted uh, nine hundred dollars, is what they asked for. Now I've since spoken to somebody else who, was, and they were looking for three and a half thousand. But at the time, I mean, of course, I was, I was like, oh my god, will I just pay them because so much work, so mm-hmm. many years, yes. and um, my husband was already on the Google. And he had found a couple of examples of the same situation, but they, they don't necessarily give it, give it back to you. They, they get you to pay them in Bitcoin, so there's no no way of like cancelling it or charge, mm. charging back, and and then they disappear with your site.
3: And have you any idea, Niamh, how they got access?
5: Yeah, yeah. So what happened was I got an email on um, Monday, Monday evening. Uh, so a nice, relaxed bank holiday Monday evening. My, I wasn't on, let's say, and I uh, got an email through and it said that your Nemo Brush account has been selected for verification, which is the little blue tick. Mm. And I thought this was great. I thought that this was kind of like a little medal of honor and I thought it was brilliant. So I clicked into it. Now, I got another one this morning and I've kind of realized what they're doing. My I have a different email address <clears throat> Excuse me, attached to the Nemo Brush account and they're coming through the generic one. That's attached to our website now. I didn't. I didn't think about this. I didn't give it a second glance when it first happened. But um, I clicked in thinking I was getting this verification badge, and you opened the door it, to them. I <sighs> opened the door. I opened the door. Now, it, when I like when I look back at it now, when I clicked into the email, it was a completely spurious looking email. And since I've put it up on Instagram, since I have put it out on social media and made kind of made a bit of a fuss of it, the amount of people have messaged me that have gotten the same thing. Yeah. You H- know, so H- they, hold on I there, Neave,
3: because I, I want to bring in uh, our own Mary Jane, Lamity Jane. Um, has this happened to you, MJ?
16: Hi, PJ. How are you doing? All yes, right. I. So I only caught up on um, Nev's story yesterday, um, and when I looked, I was thinking, God, you know, may, I wonder who they're targeting or what the story is. So I went into my um, own email, and I I went into the junk mail folder now. As me have said, like you get loads of different emails and um, say when you have a, a, a your email address. So my email address that I have, I I, I use one email address basically just for my social media accounts. So it's not really attached to anything other than my social media accounts. But I still get emails into it and stuff like that. And I went in and in my junk mail, um, I have a junk filter set up. And there was this thing and it looked, I sent on screenshots to Fergal and I, I put it off on Twitter last night. It actually looked like it was coming from Facebook, so it wouldn't be unusual for people to be caught out by it because Fair. it looks yeah. really authentic. Like, there's logos, there's a link, and the and, link... And, of course, Facebook
3: own Instagram as well, so you'd think, yes. right, you know, yeah.
16: Yeah. yeah. So um so when I when I went up and I looked at the actual email address that it came from, it was something totally random like B F G G H at Oh yeah, yours you know, it was this,
5: crazy this, looking. This, mine mine was a Gmail account, but yours was just all codes and
16: yeah, really so, scary looking. Yeah, so like a lot of these so like you get an awful lot of emails um when you have an Instagram account for business okay, that like you know, they're looking to maybe You know, upgrade your Instagram or you can buy likes or you can buy followers or you can buy content and all this kind of stuff. So you get, you, you almost become nearly immune to it, to opening it. And, and you know, you know, I'm an awful skit PJ. So like I, I'd be, you know, when I get messages on Instagram from fellas that are telling me that they want to, you know, that they, that I have a long last relative, I reply to them for the laugh, you know. So um I have just become now though hyper hyper vigilant that I that I wouldn't kind of do that anymore. Um so it's just really kind of important like to kind of raise awareness about it really because you yeah, know exactly. I, I know myself I have clients that have social media accounts and like a lot of people's businesses are really really focused yeah, on their social built media.
9: There.
16: Yeah exactly and it, it their whole online stamp is is primarily on social media of course depending yeah. on where their market is. Um, so, there's a couple of tips and tricks that you can use, like like creating an email address that's solely for social media management is one of them, so that then you and your. Say your do you know team... what I might ask you to do, yeah. Mary Jane? Yes. Would
3: you hold on for me? Because I need to sure. get to the news, and I, maybe you could come back to me. If you if you can sure. stay and leave, that would be great. Terry, we'll come back to the two of them maybe for a couple of minutes after the news, because if it's happening to two of these people, it's happening to others.
9: Can we just talk?
3: The Opinion
2: Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread,
1: 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream.
2: (laughs) The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
1: Call 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
1: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
2: The opinion line with PJ Coogan
1: on Corks 96 FM.
3: Going to give a couple minutes more to this story of a scam happening on uh, Instagram. Neve, whose account is, or I suppose Neve, not putting two point it was Nima underscore brush official has been scammed out of about 30,000 followers uh, by this and Mary Jane, oh Mary Jane I think you came across it as well, I don't think they got you though, did they
16: No, no, they didn't. Um, But I'd say it was probably only because I had seen Nia's story that that they didn't, you know. Mm. Um, But there's definitely ways that you can kind of um, stay safer online in terms of trying to avoid these scams, Um, PJ. um, Because like a lot of people, so like you're a lot of, for business, social media is invaluable to them. Um, And even if you only have, you know, a thousand or two thousand or three thousand or ten thousand followers, um, sometimes they look. Maybe they look at your because I only have thirteen thousand compared to Neve's um, thirty thousand. So, like sometimes they'll maybe look at your website and they'll see what how else they can kind of access your account if that makes sense. So, like because um, you know when you when you get this email scam, they ask you to put in your password. Mm. That could be your password for other things in your business. So, yeah. for example, it could be your your normal, your regular email. So where all your customers um, and and account details and stuff are coming in and out, um, it could be your say it could be the same one as for your Twitter or for your other. So the one thing I would say to people is I would encourage everyone to have different account passwords for different um, things. Nia, I don't know, is you, yeah, your yeah, that,
5: that, and that's actually what ended up happening that night. You know, when I kind of had that level of acceptance, you know, that the of Brush account had been hacked. I I started to panic that I kind of thought well, how far is this going. So the name of our um, Instagram was attached to the name of our Facebook, which and on that we had a catalogue, which is attached to our website. So I started to panic, and I went and changed the passwords on everything. Now, all of our passwords were already a little bit different, you know. Um, I've since heard, instead of using words with, like, with you know, a lot of people will take a name and then put a date and then maybe, like, an exclamation mark or something like that. I've since heard, if you write actual sentences, they're harder to... So think of a sentence, you know, make up something, and and they're harder to to be able to kind of to guess. That's a very good idea. Yeah, and it's nearly easier to remember a sentence than it is to remember different variations of the same code, because it does, it gets baffling after a while, having all these different passwords.
16: You have to remember as well, PJ, for example, like... You know if you're managing multiple accounts or if say, say for example your business so the business that i work for is business right and it's on our website and on our social media handles and stuff like that we have all of the the um when we were established you know who our ceo is who our president is we have all that information that's all on our website so for example, if I if, if we were to have our password as, you know, business court 2009 or something like that, should they be they'd have free access to everything. So you have to be yeah. inventive with yeah. your passwords. You know, it has to be something that's really, really easily um, that, that's easy for you to remember. That's not too complicated because you don't want to lock yourself yeah. out of your account. But yeah, at exactly. the same time, you, it, it needs to be hard for them to guess. Gotcha. And using um, two-factor authentication as well on your account is a good idea. Yeah. So that's it's, a a pain, it's a bit of
3: a pain in the neck, though, because they send a text to your phone and you're using the bloody phone to open the account. So you got to go out of that, get the number, bring it in. But then again, I know open
5: it, is, it, it is a bit of a pain. And they also have this, um, this app now that you download and it comes straight from Instagram. Um, and you click into that for another code and the code on that one only lasts 30 seconds. And it is a bit of a shuffle, um, but, but look if, but, it, if it keeps it safe. Yeah. And the only time uh, they'll ask you for that is if you're coming in from a different device or if somebody else is trying to access yeah. it. So if you're going in on your phone or if you're going in on your, your iPad, let's say, continuously, they won't ask you. But if, if you go on to, say, a friend's laptop or somebody else's login, that's the only time they'll ask you for stuff like that or if you're changing a password or changing... Your, um, and, your email, things like that.
16: And you can, you can, like, what 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 Instagram will do is it'll ask you to remember the device. So then, you know, it doesn't happen every time the person logs in. So, for example, if you're, I don't know, if you if you were to furnish your shop and you had a couple of employees that were helping you with the social media and stuff like that, it just means that you're able to keep control of yeah. the social media. And if yeah. someone leaves the company or anything like that, you can t- remove them so yes. that they don't have access to yes. your... You know your inquiries and all that kind of stuff. What if you, they leave,
3: another thing that can happen is, and it's a bad habit, is that you have the same password for everything, and yeah, that yeah. is lethal. Where these Fergal tells me they're called pass phrases. Pass yeah, phrases yeah, pa- make pass up something phrase. about yourself or about your dog or about that only you will possibly remember.
5: Yeah, exactly. exactly. And there's another thing as well. There is um, there are apps, many many apps that you can get on computers, you can get on your phone. If you go onto an app um, and type in password vault, mm. they will. Um, there's many options out there, and what they are is um, essentially a vault of all of your passwords. So you can put in all of your. So you know when you're logging into your River Island account or your Zara account or whatever it might be, your your bank account. You can put these all in here, but they're very very secure. Mm. And you can disable it at a moment's notice. So Is this one? It only steals. it only
3: opens for for facial recognition or biometric as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah.
5: It, yeah. It would be like yeah, yeah. It would be very, very secure. Um, and you, it means then that let's say let's say you have notes on your phone and you've got all your passwords in there. This yeah. and then you lose your phone or somebody steals your phone, they have essentially access to all of this. So. With the vault, you've got an external kind of email address and password, and you can disable it at a moment's notice. Gotcha. So if somebody steals your phone or if uh, your iPad or you go, you go travelling and a bag goes missing and it has everything in it, okay. you can log in on an external device and literally wipe the entire system.
3: Okay. Well, I, <laughs> you know, I hope, I, I, I don't suppose there's any hope of getting it back, but I hope you can build your business up again, Neve. anyway.
5: Well, that's, that's the lovely thing. I really saw the power of the people in the last 48 hours. Um, anyone that I have ever crossed paths with with Nemo Brush, anyone that's ever used the tools, just all rallied together, and we've now gotten the account back up to 36,000 followers in 40 48 hours. That's which nice. Which is incredible. So something that was meant to be so cruel and harmful ended up becoming a beautiful moment. So, right. so yeah, it's, it's a big change from the start of the okay. week, and, and you know, that sense the say, community.
16: Yeah. Can I say, with my other hat on, the beauty hat on? The product Mm -hmm. is amazing and it's multi-award winning. The brushes are phenomenal. So if anyone's in the market for some new brushes and wants to support Nieve after her ordeal I definitely recommend you. Well, Niamh, I lovely. don't
3: know if you ever knew each other before that now but <laughs> but but if you, if you get an endorsement from Mary Jane and Cork you're made girl, you're made. <laughs> I
9: love it. Love it. All right. Brilliant. Cheers. Thank you Thank you both. Thank you both.
3: That's Neve. So th- th- 18 and and Mary Jane 1857 That one's going around. It's going around. I love the idea uh, these pass phrases when you're setting something up because we're all guilty of it we all pick a favorite and just multiples of it whatever. pick if that's a great idea a really good idea uh, there's also two great apps to have uh, for to protect yourself would be uh, last pass last pass and bitwarden uh, both very good apps for protecting the security on your various accounts
2: 185715996 can we just talk? The opinion line
3: on Corks 96 FM. With
1: Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100 percent natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Oldies and Irish on Corks 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, baby, big. big. Show, show, show. Ray, 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 radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning.
7: Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies
1: and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Hidden Hearing. Tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie
3: Courts 96 FM. Coming up shortly, if I told you somebody would pay you to eat broccoli... Yeah, I mean it. Someone is willing to pay you to eat broccoli. That's in just a sec. But first of all, I've spoken to this man uh, more than once um, since he came to Cork and set up one of the most popular cafes in the city down there in 14 George's Quay is is cafe and i'm delighted to say that he's with me now celebrating two years in business uh, is but but i guess it's it's been a difficult time to to uh, to keep the business going during the pandemic good morning to you
15: good morning to you and good morning to the listeners everywhere Lovely. To... Uh, yeah i think it's it, it it was uh very challenging to everybody
3: Mm. The last time we spoke, I think at any length was just before Christmas of, of 2019, when none of us expected any of this to befall us in 2020. Just, just remind us again, is of the story. You and Iman came here through the direct provision system.
15: Yes, uh, we came as uh, asylum seekers. We applied for uh, uh, protection in 2016. We got our status approved within one year. We spent uh, about uh, six months uh, more in direct provision hunting for a house. It was very, very hard really that time. And uh, then we decided to take a risk of starting a new business. We started very simple in the uh, farmers markets for one year. Mm. And uh, we felt that our food uh, is becoming popular and uh, we uh, we better go uh, to the next chapter of our uh, business by opening is uh, cafe here in Georges key mm. and it was uh, it was equally exponential we we continued uh like uh, working hard to uh, impress people and uh to develop our business and uh, we feel that uh, our business is really uh, doing uh, good despite of the challenges. Uh, everyone is uh, is facing uh, nowadays because of the pandemic. Mm. Now it's it's
3: Palestinian food, which of course is your your own uh, native nosh, uh, uh, as it were, and it's proved really really popular with core people.
15: Yeah, yeah, I, I feel it's it's becoming really popular, especially after the latest uh, awards and uh, recognition by the community.
3: Yeah, yeah. I should mention you got the best cafe at the Corp Business Association. Congratulations for that. And you've Thank also won you've won a number of others. You, you, and you were awarded Corp Person of the Month uh, last September. Congratulations for that. You yourself, I think, as you told me before, you're actually uh, a software designer by profession. Yeah, I right? used
15: to be a software developer. Uh, it's or, some change or, or, in profession, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, it's a big shift in our in my career. And uh, I decided to take the the risk of uh, starting a new business and giving up uh, my profession because I thought it's a better option for the whole family,
9: Mm. uh,
15: for my wife, for my children and for us to integrate with the community. Uh, And I I think it it also worked well for, for the family great, great. Uh, business wise and even uh, socially and uh, yeah. it's it's been
3: tough for the last year so you, i'm i'm sure you can't wait to get open properly again
15: yeah we we really miss normal uh, life we miss uh, seeing people dining in and uh, seeing people from other uh, counties and cities uh, uh, coming to cork and visit us as normal uh, we are looking forward to restoring uh, some kind of normality next month okay. and maybe fully normal this summer.
3: Okay, well, good luck with that, and and always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, you you've, you've been adapting, I suppose, like every other business trying to try and deal with the pandemic. But they just want to get open again and get working again. and They're very personable people, and the food is just wonderful. Out of Is Cafe, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I mentioned speaking of food, I mentioned broccoli, and uh, yeah, I, I said this to the wife last night. I said, Do you know, there's someone going to pay you, willing to pay you to eat broccoli. No, this obviously uh, it's it's research. Of course, it is. Um, Rebecca Kearns is project manager on a broccoli pre diabetes study for a company called Atlantia Food. Tell me more, Rebecca. Good morning. Hi, DJ. How are you? Good. Eat your broccoli. It's it's a chorus in every Sunday at every dinner. Eat your broccoli. Eat your broccoli. Eat your broccoli. So that so why why is someone so interested in paying people to eat broccoli?
13: Yes, yeah. You can see why we've gotten a lot of interest in the last day or two with that headline. But uh this broccoli, I guess, uh it's not genetically modified or anything. It's just a broccoli and it's in soup form. The reason for the soup form is that you would have you'd be having a big plate of broccoli, uh, with a side of your potatoes, I guess. So with the soup then we have the extract and you are able to concentrate it. So this broccoli soup, uh it was we food company actually they are the, part of the people who uh were doing the research for and this study current study came out of a previous study in which they used this product this broccoli soup to research with early stage prostate cancer patients and what they realized was in and it wasn't their aim but they did realize and because you have to do all of these safety checks that it was reducing the glucose in this this cohort population. So now we're doing a study in Blackpool, uh, Cork, to see if we can reduce glucose in people who have slightly high um, glucose and HbA1c. Okay,
3: so these would be people who would be, as they say, pre-diabetic and warned to watch their sugar intake. There's a chemical in broccoli that can reduce it naturally. Is that it Sandra?
13: Exactly. And I guess the reason that it might be slightly hard to recruit is uh, uh, glucose, that pre-diabetic stage, but before having really high glucose, is it's asymptomatic. So you and I, we might have high glucose, but we wouldn't know that. So generally, the, the factors that might uh, be, a, I suppose, a warning is that you're slightly overweight or family history, or maybe you had gestational diabetes during a pregnancy, and um, so little physical activity, I think we're all in the past year, might, might fall into this. <laughs> um, this, 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 This I suppose, higher glucose uh, range. Mm. But what so what t-
3: kind of people do you need for this research, Rebecca?
13: So we're just looking for people with 18 to 70, both male and female. And like I said, you won't necessarily know if you've high glucose. So what we do is we can go through it um, online with you. So if you go to atlantiaclinicaltrials.com, you'll get some more information. But we're happy to take a call- phone call as well. If you were to sign up online, we ring you, go through it with you. And what we do is we bring you on site for a really quick 15 minutes. We go through the study and what's involved. And we take a quick blood sample about your glucose and hPO one c We take your BMI, your blood pressure, and then our doctor on site does review your blood as well. So it's a, like I said, it's it's a really good opportunity to just get that checkered and maybe not as nerve-wracking as going to the doctors and like that. We don't really know ourselves, mm. so...
3: And you just have to, you use this soup then, which will be sent to you, obviously, once a week.
13: Once a week is all, yeah. So come on site, we do your bloods and we get all that health check-in and then what we do is we send you home with uh, six sashes, six weeks' worth of the soup. You just mix it with 350ml, so it's, it's like any other soup, really. You just have that once a week with your slice the bread and then you come back. We take your blood, give you another six weeks. So it's very actually low, and um, there's not a lot involved. Right. Uh, so
3: and we will you. test you again then at the end of it, uh, obviously.
13: Exactly. And um, all while we can give you that blood result. So, like, we're not, it's your information. So, we can give you that blood result. And like I said, our doctor reviews them as well. And the aim, hopefully, is that we could reduce the, the glucose in people. Before that, we get to that diabetes stage. Uh, So all about functional foods and what we can do to prevent getting to that stage.
3: And what's more, you get paid for it.
13: (laughs) Exactly, yeah, that's it. 700 euro for a few minutes, yeah, and a bit of broccoli soup, yeah. Sounds great, doesn't it?
3: Okay, so when people want to find out more, atlantiaclinicaltrials.com, is it? That's the one. All right. Listen, great great talking to you, Rebecca. Thank you very much. Rebecca Kearns, she's project manager on this pre-diabetes study, this chemical that they have discovered that's in broccoli that can help to counteract early stages of diabetes and counteract the risk of diabetes. And they'll pay you 700 quid to drink 12 bowls of soup. I think I could do that atlantiatechnicaltrials.com if you want to find out more. Look for 40 people in Cork. 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line
2: on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100%
1: natural, and made in
2: Cork using West Cork cream.
3: We did this a couple of weeks ago, and unfortunately our connection wasn't the best. I wanted to come back to it, because it's a very exciting project, uh, and it takes reality TV to a whole new level. Now, as I've said before, me and reality TV have a very strange on-off relationship. Some stuff I will watch, some stuff I will run screaming from the room. This is one that I think I will definitely watch. A deal also has now been signed between the makers of Space Hero and NASA. And Space Hero, the prize will be, get this now, the prize will be you'll go to the International Space Station for 10 days, headed to Germany to talk to Thomas Riemer, who's the founding partner of Space Hero and the co-CEO. Thomas, good morning to you.
17: Good morning to Ireland. Good morning, Cork. Good morning, BJ. How are you?
3: Good and delighted to speak with you. Now, this is a major project that is likely to run for 15 seasons, if if you can get it off the ground, and it will take people maybe to the, to, to the moon eventually. But we'll start with the space station. How did it come about? What's the idea?
17: It came about as any good starter comes about on the back of a napkin. No joke. It wasn't a restaurant. And uh, I sat there with a very influential media executive, and, uh, you know, we looked at the biggest attention... Uh, creating project that can be generated and uh, sending somebody to space obviously is the one. It's not only the challenge to go to space, but also it is the biggest prize that will have ever been given away on television
3: ever. Yeah, I can't think of anything that would even begin to match with 10 days on the International Space Station. So who's eligible for this?
17: You can apply if you are 18 plus and speak English. English is the language of space, uh, so you must be able to speak English, but that's about it. Of course, uh, once you advance through the competition, uh, the criteria get harder and harder. But again, this is about democratizing access to space, and that means as many uh, people as possible should be able to become star sailors.
3: Talk to me a little bit about that democratizing space. What does that term mean?:
17: At the moment, SpaceX is very limited to astronauts, right, who most of the time are trained pilots with 10,000 hours of flight experience, or scientists with double PhDs. Or, should you want to go private, you need a lot of money to make that happen, so you will be a billionaire. And let's face it, not many people on this planet are. So we are here to lead the movement into space for every normal citizen of this planet.
3: Don't you need qualifications to be on the space station? Don't you need scientific qualifications to be part of the space station? Or would you just be a visitor?
17: You will be both. Right. So uh, for this mission, for the first space hero mission, you will be both. You will have a mission, which means you will also be conducting uh, some experiments in space. You will support uh, the work of scientific research that is going on on station. But you will also be a visitor and what kind of a visitor you will be because you have the backing of billions of people on this planet that have established an emotional connection with you before you went up to space, right? So everything that you experience up there and that you tell people that you've seen is going to be um, is going to be very relatable and it will have an impact on what people think about space in general.
3: Yeah, like, do you plan or will you be able to film the the winner on board the space station?
17: Absolutely, we are preparing a twenty four seven live stream from station. For the entire duration of the 10-day trip. And even better, it will be immersive and interactive. So when you go to the office in the morning, you pull out your mobile phone and you will be able to dial into the Space Hero live stream and say hi together with your mates. And maybe the Space Hero says hi back.
3: Crikey. So when someone enters for this, obviously you'll have to find those who are most suitable. So how will you do that?
17: On December 23rd this year, our Space Hero app will drop. It's an app that will be available for free for everybody, and that starts the application process, right? You can establish a profile for yourself, and we encourage really everybody to take part, even if you think that you don't have what it takes to become an astronaut. Reignite that dream that you had. Reignite the hope uh, that you had to become one when you were younger, Because it's always good to see where you are in this process and what you can achieve by just improving uh, how you live and how your environment lives.
3: Now, what's the value of this prize, Thomas, and and who's going to pay for it?
17: The value of this prize is uh, a staggering $55 million. And, um, (laughs) yeah, right? It's a lot. Uh, we, Our organization, of course, is giving this prize away, and um, thus we are in the position to um, have that ticket with a very reputable private space company called Axiom Space, who are the first ones to build a private module attached to the ISS in 2024. Crikey. So, this is
3: really the biggest show of its kind ever. And is it as open to someone from from Cork as it is to someone from Cologne in Germany or or Colorado, USA?
17: Absolutely. It's open to everybody. And that is important because we don't want to make that distinction. We want to reach into the far, uh, you know, far points on this planet that, you know, people can apply from. Not only from Cork, uh, but from all over Ireland, from all over Europe, from all over Africa, Latin America, you know, Southeast Asia, Australia, everywhere. At the end of the day, this will become a movement which will happen every two years and people will prepare for it. They will prepare for it when they are younger and it will become a movement that has Olympic proportions.
3: Wow. Like, so the, the, the first winner, like we're talking about, you say your app will go live in, in December of this year. The first winner will go to the space station in 2023. But you're hoping to do this every two years for 30 years. So where, where else would you like to bring people, Thomas?
17: We would like to bring people to wherever the destinations spring up. We will not only fly one person, but we will also eventually fly the first couple into space, the first family into space. Can you imagine the first child into space? And when they come back, what they have to tell the world is going to be awesome. Then eventually we will be part of the moon station, but also part of the first human mission to Mars, which, of course, is the Columbus moment uh, that we will all be able to witness live.
3: And and we are really only a few years away from that. So ideally, um, Space Hero would be running up to that time and the ultimate prize, be, be one of the first people to see Mars.
17: That would be the ultimate prize. It's a risky, risky mission, but you know what? It is the chance that we have. So we want to explore it and we want to be uh, the star sailors that we should be.
3: So is the app available yet, or is it not not yet available until December?
17: It won't be available until December, but many teaser campaigns will lead up to it. You will hear more from us throughout the year. This is a proposition that is so big that people tend to not believe it, but it is real and that's what we are going to bring home until December when everybody understands Go and download it and apply.
3: Because I think that's what a lot of people are thinking, listening to us, Thomas. They're listening to the radio and I'm talking to a guy about giving away a prize of a trip to the International Space Station and they're thinking that we're, we're, we're making this up. This is as real as it gets.
17: It is as real as it gets, absolutely. We would have never come out with this, right, if we wouldn't have the ticket to fly to the International Space Station because we are um, uh, under-promising and over-delivering. That's the ethos of our company.
3: Okay. You know, we will catch up again, I promise, because this is exciting. Uh, Thomas Reimer, the founding partner and co-CEO of Space Hero, uh, signing agreements with NASA to send one person to the International Space Station in 2023. It's like the... Biggest prize ever. I mean, not even Marty can do something like this on the lottery. you can't, like. This is huge, as they say. 1850 715 we'll catch up with Thomas and his crew again as we get closer to the end of the year and find out a little bit more. Anybody interested in trying it? Would anybody listening to me give it a go? Just for the crack, like. Anybody give it a bash? Mind you, is it just me, and is it just his phone line? Does it does it sound does it sound a little bit like I'm talking to to the Terminator? A TD called Thomas Pringle. He's from way way up the country. Donny Gall, I think it is, uh, but he has raised this idea of bringing the voting age down to uh, sixteen. Um, John. O'Donovan was on saying, sure, all we hear now is the teens are not responsible for what they do as regards antisocial behaviour, because the brain isn't properly developed until the age of 25. And anyway, they've no life experience to base decisions on. Maybe we should all go down to Woody's and buy shovels so we can dig a deeper hole for ourselves. That's one side of the argument, John. The other side of it is that maybe we should tap a little bit more into the brains of young people, and instead of dismissing them, listen to them, because sometimes they can come up with wisdom that our slightly older brains don't have. So, you know, I wouldn't dismiss it entirely. It might be a subject for discussion uh, on the programme tomorrow, if you were up for it. Here's a sad little news story and women of a certain age, television viewers of a certain age will certainly remember this. It's an ad that if you made it now, you couldn't make it now because there'd be every kind of a problem with it. It would be problematical, as they say these days. This was the ad where a guy who walked into a laundrette and stood in front of a washing machine and proceeded to strip. And he loaded his clothes, his short first, into the washing machine. And then he loads his jeans into the washing machine. And then he sits down in his jocks, picks up a newspaper and reads it. And all the background music is Marvin Gaye's I Heard It Through the Grapevine. And it put that song back to number one. It was an ad for Levi's 501 Jeans. Remember it well. Remember it really well. And the guy was an unknown, absolutely unknown model by the name of Nick Kamen. And he was only 18 when he was signed up for that uh, ad. He ended up working with, recording with, um, there are some say he had other... Uh, associations with, Madonna, and did a couple of hit singles, he certain, she certainly wrote a song for him, and did a massive hit called Each Time You Break My Heart, but it was one of those ads, and people, you'll remember it, look it up, look, look it up, Nick Kamen, Levi's 501 ad, you'd never even get it on the telly these days, it wouldn't be let, there'd be 101 really, really problematic things about it. Thank goodness we could do these things back then. But his name was Nick Kamen. the reason I'm telling you all of this is that Nick Kamen died uh, yesterday at the age of just... What age was he? He was only a young man, 59. Uh, Nick Kamen was. He had cancer. And he died yesterday in London. I just thought I'd mention it for you today. 1850 715996
2: Can we just talk? Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with dairy made
1: premium spread, 100 natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream.
10: The drama is sensational. That's oh, it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time, and it's all right here.
7: Greenish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live Online powered by TalkSport. Go, go. ready to go.
1: This Saturday, it's Leeds United versus Tottenham at 12.30. Sheffield United versus Crystal Palace at 3.00. Man City versus Chelsea at 5.30. And Liverpool versus Southampton at
7: 8 ready to The Premier League Live Online.
1: With now. Stream all the action from Sky Sports with a now sports membership.
10: Go, go. Listen every Saturday on the Corks 96FM app or
7: see 96FM.ie Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. 96 96
2: 96. On Courts 96 FM.
3: When we use the term foraging in Coogan Towers, one or other, I have a forage around in the fridge and I'll see is as the in the makings of a sandwich. You know, a rummage, a look around to see is as in there that you can put together to form food. But that's not really what foraging is at all. Foraging is effectively looking for plants and things we can eat that we wouldn't have thought we could eat and there's an incredible amount of them out there and now that we are out of our 5k and able to travel anywhere we want in our beautiful county and from, is it from Monday? From Monday we can go anywhere we want in our lovely country Um maybe we could explore a little bit of foraging for wild food uh, Kitty Scully uh, good morning to you
18: Good morning PJ. Uh, I like that introduction, rummaging around the fridge and I think foraging is kind of like rummaging around the countryside, Um, just much like our ancestors did, you know, when you think about it before pre-cultivated food um people depended on the wild to feed us. So I think there is a whole drive back to this form of um, I suppose eating, of connecting with nature, there's mm. the health benefits. So so that's yeah, so a lot a rummage around around nature is kinda of sums it up. And the the, the difference
3: is though, if you're rummaging around the fridge you kinda know that anything you may happen to find you can eat it's it's not so easy when you're outside in a meadow or a field or the woods so we need to be kind of careful
18: yeah and that's a very good point and like realistically there is just a myriad of plants out there and so many of them have got amazing health properties but there are many that are dangerous as well and can be poisoned if consumed by humans so the best thing advice or tip i give to anyone before they start rummaging or foraging is to educate themselves to learn about plant identification to know what you're eating and some of these edible plants or wild plants are, are quite obvious very easy, you know to recognize like a nettle or a dandelion but others like the families the umbelifers they call them and they're like the the cow parsley, the ground elders It can, there can be very, very small little details. So, so I would say identification, and then you're probably going, PJ, but how? Where does someone
3: learn? Give me a couple of common things that we wouldn't know you can actually eat.
18: Yeah, well, I, but just before I move on to that, PJ, I do think it's important to say about identification, get yourself a good book, put it in your backpack mm. and head out with it. That is number one. There's a lot online. It can be very confusing, but I cannot stress how important it is to, to educate yourself. If you can get out and do a forage walk, COVID restrictions, if this come back, actually getting out on a guided walk and walking with somebody, be it a seaweed walk, a woodland walk, is, is definitely one of the best things you could do. So, let's just say at the moment, and I kind of see foraging is quite interesting, that nature gives you what you need. And often you don't need to actually go outside your county. Often by just looking at what's growing outside your door could be the plants that actually you need right now at the moment. So, let's just say, has anyone noticed in their hedgerows a plant called Alexander's? It's got a nice bright green, kind of acid green yellow flower that is uh, much like parsley and celery and all parts of edible so that's a really really good um, one to start with, dandelions, people have hated dandelions, the war on dandelions needs to stop, not only are bees not to forage them and they're growing in every lawn. But and aren't, they, they, aren't pe- they
3: poisonous now for example?
18: Dandelions no, we all We used parts- to take
3: the tops off dandelions and pinch the head and put the white stuff on warts, so surely <laughs> that can't be good to eat
18: and I, and I think that could be maybe related to the, the Peon Lee, their, their French name. I think they were also called uh, wet the bed. Um, yeah. And that could be something about their properties. But no dandelion flowers can be used to make a lovely dandelion honey. Now, you could say add amount, that amount of sugar and anything would taste good. <laughs> dandelion leaves are the right amount. You know, they're one of the first leaves to come. They're, they're bitter, but they're great in salads. The French have a great tradition of eating them. So the young leaves are edible. And then also the root. People dig up the roots and dry them and it makes a substitute for coffee. Between yourself and what? myself... just Yeah, so dandelion roots have been have been used as a substitute for a coffee flavour that you dig them up and then they're dried and roasted and ground. Now, between yourself and myself, look it, and, and everybody listening... Just because something you can eat, it doesn't mean they're always delicious. Now, I like one coffee a day, so personally, for me, dandelion root it's not worth the effort to <laughs> dig it up and root it. I prefer my one cup of coffee. Yeah. But it's good for people to know these things and um, explore. Another one that will be coming up soon is our elderflower. Like elder, just grows right through our country. Mm. It's such an abundant bush. It really you blend is.
3: a salad, can't you?
18: You can eat that in a salad. They can be used. They can be deep fried as fritters. Um, but yet again, one of the best uses is to make a lovely elderflower cordial, which mm-hmm. is absolutely delicious. The Nettles are great, and like as a gardener, now, I, you, you, you don't want
3: to see nettles in the garden.
18: You don't want to see nettles in the garden because they're they're a perennial weed. They, they compete for light, for food, for everything. But I want to see nettles on my plate. They, they don't, you probably heard the old saying: three, tre- "Nettles three times in May keeps the doctor away," or, or something. Some very So what do you do? I
3: mean, this is going to take like an awful stupid question. Don't they sting you?
18: Well, but no, and that's a very good question. So often with wild plants what they are like in their raw state and if they're lightly steamed or cooked, there's a great variance. So the tip with nettles is pinch out the growing tip. The top of the plant is the most tender, the most succulent. The bottom leaves are kind of a bit tough and not as palatable. And then if you touch the inside centre of the leaf, you actually, there is no sting. Um, It's the serrated edge is where the sting is. So to be careful, you could put on a pair of gloves but rest assured, PJ, when you steam them, and nettles can be used in substitute of spinach in any dish Um, and at the moment it's what we call the hungry gap in our gardens may is a hard time the winter store crops are going uh, you know they've gone over and we're waiting for the new fresh summer season crops to come in so spinach is such a nutritious power superfood but realistically we can use nettles instead i had a lovely pasta with nettle and pesto there the other night and i always just run out. So we need, I think they call it the Weeders Digest. We need to start looking um,
3: <laughs> I love it The Weeders Digest
18: <laughs> It makes, it just varies it up. It makes weeding a little bit more fun if you think you're going to get your supper um, out of it. There's another one Would you have ever heard old people talking about Prashok? Prashok um, Prashok. Can't yellow- say I have, no a yellow flowering weed. Any of our country listeners that would grow cereal crops would be very familiar with it. It's the Brassica family, which means it's related to our cabbages, our broccolis, our cauliflowers, or sprouting broccolis. It's the same family, but it's an older, wilder, original cultivar. Oh, does this look
3: a bit like celery with with with? yellowy flowers on
18: it? It's Yellowy flowers, exactly. And always, before people got all the the herbicides out, it was common in true true Ireland and in a lot of kind of freshly like waste ground or newly cultivated ground. And realistically in older times in Ireland, before the potatoes came in and before the cabbages, people would have always used prashock. They would have made soups and stews and it would have always been included in our diet. And often these wild foods are so Nutritionally rich um, and dense, and we've gone on to make more cultivated varieties. But um, if they're free out there, and I don't have to break my back digging or buy seeds or sow them, I absolutely.
3: Mind them. Can you recommend, Kitty? Before I let you go, I, I, I have one thing to do before we finish. So I'll let you go. Is there a good book you can recommend or a good website you can recommend?
18: Well, definitely. Um, there's like there's a very old one called Food for Free by Richard Maybe and that's an old reliable that is there but I know there's another the Irish wild plant book just came out in 2020 so I would just say take um, a look online and try and buy something from Ireland. There's a guy from River Cottage in the UK called John Wright and I was very lucky to go on a foraging walk with him and he's got a great website there's an Irish um, foraging podcast now so there's, I know a friend of mine in Clare has a brilliant online course um, the Herbal Hub, you Know that it's kind of foraging through the seasons, and I suppose the big thing is forage with care. Nature is generous, so okay. we shouldn't be greedy.
2: Quartz ninety six FM.
10: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?